Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Elvis Merzlikens, third shutout in his last four starts. Ovechkin's got a chance at it. He looks, he shoots, he scores! It's a hat trick! And we welcome you into another edition of Our Line Starts with Keith Jones. I'm Catherine Tappan, and we're happy to welcome a Stanley Cup champion to the podcast and the broadcast, Ben Lovejoy. Good to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. Have you ever been on a podcast before? I have done a decent amount of podcasts. Oh, um, so sort of low-level podcasts where... People are looking for any sort of guests they can. They're like, let's get this really average defenseman um, and see what he has to say. Well, we like to consider this a high-level podcast. So welcome to the high-level podcast now. I'm, I'm You're stepping on up. Still psyched to be here. <laughs> nice. We're happy to have you. We have a lot to talk about. Let's show you what's coming up on this edition of Our Line Starts. Alex Ovechkin is on a tear. Eight goals in his last three games. He's on pace for 56 this season. He's now tied for ninth all-time in goals scored. Can he actually catch Wayne Gretzky? That's been the big question. Patrick Kane, the youngest U.S. foreign player to reach 1,000 points. He's on a 10-game point streak. And don't look now, but those Blackhawks are just outside the playoff position in the West. And Elvis is in the building. Three shutouts and four games for Elvis Merzlikens. We'll discuss the Columbus Blue Jackets, rookie goalie, and just how far this team can go. Plus a conversation with Minnesota Wild owner Craig Leopold. All of that coming up, but we begin with the great number eight. And Alex Ovechkin has been unbelievable. It's uh, it's crazy every year that we continue to talk about him and can he reach Wayne Gretzky? Well, now it's actually within reach, it appears, Jonesy, and this is becoming a real conversation now. It, it is, and what's most impressive to me is he does not look like he's slowing down. That's what you're waiting for. Gretzky's number is so ridiculously high that you figured with age, Ovechkin would start to slow down and oppositions would finally figure out how to stop him. Uh, that has not happened. Ovechkin looks stronger. Uh, he's scoring goals and the same way he has throughout his career and those are in multiple different ways including with his shot and breakaway speed which he showed uh, often against the New York Islanders he gets a little puck luck here but made an unbelievable move around the defenseman then he scores an empty net goal that's not your average empty net goal a great move an intelligent play to get the red line before he shoots the puck in the empty net and he has demonstrated that he still has got his scoring touch but most importantly he has his legs and that's what gives him a chance to get past him. I mean, you defended him a number of times in your career, right, Ben? I, I did. Um, I actually had reasonable success against Alex Ovechkin. Um, we, I played with for a team that that had their number for mm -hmm. a long time, yeah, uh, which definitely worked in my advantage. But um, my dad had emergency surgery in Georgetown. Um, he had emergency hernia surgery, and he's on the the operating table, having just been operated on, and. 
the, the surgeon comes in and says, it's well known in the organization that uh, your son is Alex Ovechkin's least favorite player to play against. Um, other than winning the Stanley Cup, the, that might go on my tombstone. That's like, so cool. Alex had relative success yeah. against Alex Ovechkin. Um, he's, he's terrifying. He is the best shooter ever. He doesn't need any room. He, mm. he can find lanes. Um, and it's just, it's, I think he came into the league um, being a Russian-born player. There were a lot of people that, that didn't love him right away. He was, he was a big personality before that was cool. And I think that, that now with his personality, he's, he's sort of changed minds and hearts. And um, ultimately, he's a guy that, that I cheer for because I, I do think he's good for the game. What do you think it was when you were going up against, like what enabled you to have success against a player like that? Was it the way you knew he was going to attack the net or shoot the puck? I mean, what was it with you? I think I was one of the few people dumb enough and <laughs> needed the job that badly that, that I was willing to stand in front of it, particularly on the power play. And again, my particularly my Pittsburgh team, um, we had very good success against mm-hmm. them. But um, I, I think that, that his, his job and that power play that, that he thrives on, their, their job is to get you to move out of position. And we would do a lot of scouting and a lot of film, and um, I eventually figured out that, that I didn't need to move out of position, and then I was willing to let the puck hit me uh, far too often. Oh, man. How many block shots do you think you've had against that Ovi? Uh, uh, too many, and they all hurt. <laughs> the guy shoots so hard. It's effortless for him. Um, it, he, he is a big man, and um, it's scary. Yeah. Uh, that's the remarkable part because every team is doing what Pittsburgh tried to do against Ovechkin. Everybody's game planning. Everybody's watching video. Everyone knows exactly where his office is, where Gretzky's office was behind the net. And he would come out and make incredible plays. Ovechkin's off. This is off the wing. And blasting away and one-timers, which Ben blocked a number of throughout his career, that's what he does. And no matter how often and how many times teams have studied it, they can't stop him, Mm -hmm. which is a remarkable thing. And the fact that he continues to find ways to do that and has found different ways to still continue to score goals, including getting to the blue paint a little more frequently than he did early on in his career, that's the part that just is amazing to me, that everybody is gunning to slow him down and nobody can. And I I figured he'd slow down eventually. Um, You watch his celebration after the Stanley Cup victory. Um, He looks like he's burned the candle on both ends a little (laughs) bit, but... He keeps producing, and I think playing with a guy like Backstrom, who is one of the few players in the league that can really slow the game down, uh, has benefited him because he doesn't have to be the burner that he once was. He's able to get in position to shoot, and Backstrom is one of the greatest passers ever, and they've been just such a dynamic duo over the year, and, and it continues to to breed success for them. And now having Tom Wilson on that line, he doesn't have to run everybody over every shift as well. So that's another mm-hmm. nice compliment to him that he has another player on that line that's uh, putting fear in the opposition. Big time. Yeah, you kind of wonder, would Alex Ovechkin be the player he is if Nicholas Backstrom wasn't playing with him every night? You, you can say that, but um, I, I think great players find, to be, find a way to be great mm-hmm. no matter who they're playing with. But they, they've absolutely benefited from each other. Um, that power play is perfect. Mm-hmm. They have John Carlson up top. They have TJ Oshie ready to whip one-timers. You can't just concentrate on one guy. And I think that that's made Ovechkin even more successful um, 
than he already was. Yeah. Yeah, you played with a player like that, Sidney Crosby, a guy that literally could play with anybody and make them better. It didn't necessarily mean that Sid had to rely on the other players on his wing or wherever he was. Uh, uh, great players make everybody around them so much better, mm -hmm. and they also raise your level. Like, I was a very average player, and I had to be perfect growing up, being groomed, because I, I, I needed to try to keep up and practice with these guys. And... Uh, playing with a player of a Ovechkin's caliber is the same way. Yeah, It's the remarkable thing about wingers that do that because players that play the wing don't necessarily influence the game like a centerman would, like Crosby would or like Gretzky did, uh, Joe Sackick or Peter Forsberg or Lindros, Messier. When wingers do it, it's an incredible feat as well because their job is to score and not necessarily asked to get deep in their defensive zone. Uh, they're not necessarily asked to do a whole lot of things that uh, define what a player who has defensive responsibilities would do. Their job is to shoot the puck and score goals, and you think of guys like Ovechkin, you think of Mike Bossy, pure goal scorers. Bossy had Trache, that was great. Gretzky and Curry played together. Gretzky outscored Curry remarkably at, at the center ice position, which makes his number that much more confusing. Um, but a lot of the times the centermen are the guys that are controlling the pace of play like Backstrom does. But he doesn't always defer to Ovechkin, which I think is a huge positive. He'll shoot the puck when the shot is there. But it's usually tandems that uh, mm -hmm. really find a way. And wingers usually need a great centerman. And you're right, Backstrom was a great centerman for Ovechkin. The way this Capitals team is built right now, do you guys think that that's the team in the East? Is there anybody that's going to slow this team down? I would say they're the favorite. Um, they've done it recently. I do think they have depth. Mm -hmm. I think that third line is so dangerous with, with Lars Eller. Um, that line plays in the offensive zone the whole game. Um, they have very good defense. They have great goaltending. Um, and it's still hockey. It's still you need to be good and hot at the right time. And I think Boston will, will be a big challenge for them, and I think Pittsburgh will be a big mm -hmm. challenge for them. The strength of the Capitals is what stands out to me as well, and I agree with that. Within depth, there is a lot of physical players on that team. Uh, Hathaway's there now. Racco Gudis is there. The offseason was a uh, really a beneficial offseason to the Washington Capitals for providing pieces around the stars that were already in place. And that's what gives me a lot of confidence that they can handle no matter who the opposition is, whatever they're bringing, whether it's a skilled team, they can compete with that. If it's a heavy team like Columbus, who played so well last year in chasing Tampa out, the Capitals are built to beat anybody. And they have depth in goal now, too. So if, if Holtby struggled at all, Samsonov would be the guy that they would go to quickly in a series like that, which is incredibly impressive that they've managed to mm -hmm. still have balance and depth on a lineup that's front-loaded with superstar talent. All right. Well, that's what's happening in the East with Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals. And uh, topic number two takes us to Patrick Kane, and it takes us out West with the Chicago Blackhawks. We'll talk about where they are in the standings in a minute. But Patrick Kane became the youngest U.S.-born player to reach 1,000 points, 15 points on his current 10-game point streak. And the Hawks have won five straight. They've climbed into that Western Conference wildcard conversation, and they have a lot to thank Patrick Kane for this. There's a big reason the Hawks are even in the conversation of being a playoff team, and it starts with Patrick Kane. I mean, incredible milestone for him we get the opportunity to witness a, a little piece of history here with a Patrick Kane type player Ben he's so great he's so dynamic um, he plays like he's playing with a joystick there are only a few guys that can do it in the league um, Matthew Barzell I feel like he can do that Johnny Gaudreau they just they look like they're not they're not working at all they're 
floating on top of the ice. And Patrick Kane was, for me, playing against was sort of the pioneer of that. And he he's a speed player. He can his hands are just so incredible, and his shots shots great. And he's thrown this team on his back. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, the Chicago Blackhawks have had success. Um, there, when I moved out west last year, there are two teams that that sort of gave the rest of the West fits. Um, the West is, in my opinion, bigger, heavier, a little bit slower. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights can fly, and the Chicago Blackhawks can fly. And when they're able to access their speed, um, the other teams can't keep up. I feel like they play an, an Eastern Conference-style hockey. And uh, Patrick Kane is the catalyst, and he's he's. If he's not already, he's going to be in the running for the best American player. And as an American, he's a guy I cheer for. Mm-hmm. And when you think of Patrick Kane, does a centerman jump to mind? That no. Plays? No. And that's it's a remarkable thing as well because he is a winger that influences the game from that position and does so many things that cause confusion to the opposition that it just is mind-boggling. As you talked about, the hands, uh, the skillfulness, there's his 1,000th point as he picked up a secondary assist there and had a huge smile on his face. Passion for the game, no doubt about it. It's off the charts for Patrick Kane. Showtime. Uh, he's, he's certainly provided enough great memories for Chicago Blackhawks fans, but what really stands out to me is, as an individual, Patrick Kane has made everybody around him better and has not been relying upon a chemistry with a particular player in that lineup. He has played with everybody, and you saw when he set up that goal who, was, who he was playing with. He's not playing with superstar talent. He's making everybody else better and forcing the opposition to try to check him on a nightly basis, which opens up ice for other guys on his team. Oftentimes, he's listed on the lineup card as the third-line yep. left wing, and he he's listed as the winger, but he's also the guy that's always carrying the puck to the neutral zone. Um, as a defenseman trying to defend him, he would consistently in the neutral zone be looping back and picking up the puck and then coming at you with speed and you have no gap and you're just, you know you're screwed. And he, he is showtime. And he's, he's so hard to play against and so uh, a really good player. Yeah, and- it reminds me a bit of Yarmer Yager, which sure. is a really strange comparison, but Yager played better at times with different guys in the lineup as well. It wasn't always playing with Lemieux or Ron Francis. It was playing with Kip Miller. Uh, it was playing with a lot of obscure players that didn't necessarily jump off the page to you. The difference between Patrick Kane and Yarmer Yager is Kane is a guy that makes the power play unbelievably good. Yager was a little more more, uh, it was a little simpler to cover in power play situations because he wanted the puck all the time and team's game plan for him, and he didn't necessarily excel with the extra attacker, where Patrick Kane is your perfect power play player because he does everything right and makes everybody else on the ice uh, easy, easily accessible to score goals. And I think that's really what has impressed me the most about him. He has the Hawks in a perfect position right now to continue to climb the Western Conference standings. They have some time to get themselves into a playoff position. You have to wonder what's happening in that locker room if things are starting to get a little tense because on the morning of the Blackhawks playing the Florida Panthers, Coach Q is in the house, the return of Quenville to Chicago for the very first time since he was fired in November 2018. And, oh, we've got a bit of a scuffle on the ice between Duncan Keith and Jonathan Taves, both three-time Stanley Cup champs, the captain and the best defenseman, one of the best we've ever seen play the game. I mean, what is behind this story, Ben? Is this just tempers flaring, brothers being brothers? What is this? This is brothers being brothers. This is this happens all the time. 
Um, it, it, not as much during a, a pregame skate because um, <laughs> the, the level of compete isn't quite, quite there. But um, this happens more than you think. This is nothing. Um, these guys, I'm sure, are still best friends, and they're going to go into the locker room and, and get picked on about it and laugh about it, and um, they will be fine tonight. This is nothing. I think it's awesome for the Hawks and their fans. It tells you that they're still in this thing. Mm -hmm. And if you went back three weeks ago, you could make an argument. It'd be a pretty good one that the Hawks would not be fighting for a playoff spot. They'd be looking to sell some guys and look to the future. So I think it's a real positive that there are two of their superstar talents that have done so much in winning those Stanley Cups are uh, caring enough to you know bother with one another and get into a little scrap on the ice it's it's not unusual as Ben said I think there was probably more uh, back when I was playing because there was so many drills and practice that were all about playing harder when you didn't win you were going to skate and you were also going to hit each other and at times there was going to be some uh, problems that you would have you never with got teammates. into problems with your teammates I did, did but it was never an enjoyable <laughs> experience <know. laughs> I, I room with Paul McDermott who's uh, Curtis McDermott's father the big guy that plays for the LA Kings and Paul was a tough guy and we were we were roommates but didn't talk for the first four months of the season because I was a rookie so even as roommates you know he he controlled the remote control he had Mm -hmm. he had to give respect once Christmas came around that was a different story but he was a big solid guy and to go at it with him in practice we're fighting for ice time we weren't just roommates we're battling for ice time and wanted to be you know noticed enough that you would get on the ice and boy we went at it hard and that didn't end well for me but uh, (laughs) it was a really intense practice that led to you know two teammates getting into it and it's interesting when that happens not all the guys on the the practice rink are going to be quick to let it come in and and dissipate they want to let it go a little bit because everybody's into it you want that team to kind of look and say this is how intense we have to play when the games roll around so it does happen it it does and it it, uh, can you remember a specific example uh, i don't um it (laughs) but it, it happened all the time and it Guys are into practice. This is an emotional time. These guys, they're 9-3 and three in the last 12, but, and so they're, they're feeling good, but th- these are passionate guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they're competitors, and um, after this would happen, th- these are some of my favorite times in the locker room because guys would just come in and pick on them. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious. I want to see the video. I want to see who won the fight because I'm sure that guys are in, in needling them yeah. after how it went. Yeah, and in the day of social media, and all, everybody's got their yeah. devices out oh, at yeah. morning skate. I mean, the video's out there, and it's uh, you can't get away with anything now. We, Nothing flies underneath the radar. We had another one in Washington when I was there, Alan May, who does television now in D.C. Uh, he was on the team, and so was a guy named Enrico Ciccone, who was a really, they're both tough guys, but Enrico was crazy. And these two got into it in practice, and they also were battling uh, as far as ice time went as well, especially in the role that they provided. They were both brought there to not just play hockey, but to fight when necessary. So they squared off one time, and Alame threw off his gloves, and Ciccone, as he was taking his gloves off, slashed him on the hand, broke his hand before the fight even started. <laughs> Oh Alabama ended up being out of the lineup for about six weeks as he waited for that finger to heal. But it gets pretty intense I on the ice sure there. Coach didn't like that very much. I, know, he was, see, I think he probably enjoyed it. It was Terry Murray <laughs> at the time, and our team wasn't playing that well. So he was happy that there was some chaos going yeah. on out there. Well, you talk about this Blackhawks team. 
we see where they are in the standings. You see there's a bit of camaraderie within the locker room. The guys are fighting. They've, they're interested. They've, they're still buying into this season. I mean, is this a playoff team, do you think? They're playing like it right now, and there's enough teams that are floundering mm-hmm. in that Western Conference that you can really believe it if you're a Chicago Blackhawks fan. And I don't think there was many fans that were believing it. I did a bunch of games early on in the season in Chicago. The seats are sold out, but the fans weren't going out. And that's a scary sign. So it's great to see that the Blackhawk players have taken a note of exactly what's going on around there, taken ownership of it, and have found a way to you know stay in the playoff race. And they're winning games by scoring goals. They're playing Blackhawk hockey, and they've competed really well in the defensive zone recently. So they have good goal tending to back it up. They have a legitimate chance to get there. I watched them play um, the day before Christmas, and they lost seven to one to the New Jersey Devils. I still still have all my friends of the Devils, and I I try to watch as much as I can. But um, I thought they were very done. They were they were terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure they went home over the break and did some soul searching. And this is a group that their leadership has had a lot of success, and I'm sure they expect that. And they came back, and they've gone nine and three since, and. Um, they play exciting hockey. They play fast hockey in a big, slow division. And when they're on their game, um, guys can't skate with them. And I feel like they've gotten back to that. Right. Well, it's exciting when the Blackhawks are in the conversation. There's no question about that. The team of the decade, for sure, winning three Stanley Cups. Uh, We still have to talk about Elvis, guys. He is in the building. He is the real deal. The rookie goalie in Columbus who's making fans forget about the name, Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, But first, Pierre Maguire sat down with the owner of the Minnesota Wild, Craig Leopold, and here's their conversation. Great to be with Craig Leopold, the owner of the Minnesota Wild. This is not the only team that you've owned, Craig. I have owned another team. Yes, you have, the Nashville yes. Predators. So let's start yeah. there. Okay. You're the owner of the Nashville Predators. What got you into hockey? Wow. I was, uh, I was in business, and uh, I loved business. I loved sport. And for, for five years before buying this team, I was looking at buying a pro sport mm-hmm. team. And, and I wanted to combine my two loves, and it, it has worked out. I mean, I could not have written a story better than the way my life has worked out in the last 22 years. So you own the Nashville Predators. You're in a non-traditional hockey market. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you move to a very traditional state of hockey market. Talk about the differences owning in Nashville, owning Mm -hmm. in Minnesota. Nashville was a, a phenomenal city, and it's a wonderful market. It took us a while to sell the game, and it, it uh, you know, the first person, first time we ever had a hat trick, they threw a cowboy hat out there, and they kicked <laughs> the guy out of the arena for throwing <laughs> stuff out, and that's a true story. So we had to pull him back in, no, it's okay. But, uh, but obviously, Nashville, you know, we worked hard of teaching the game, and we had uh, players that, uh, you know, as all hockey players are, they're so engaging with their fans, and they... They taught the community about the game of hockey, and, and they all loved it. And But it wasn't the normal, non-traditional, you know, I mean, traditional hockey market. And, mm-hmm. you know, at some point, I, you know, when I heard that Minnesota might be available, I knew Bob Nagley really well. Mm-hmm. And, he was the uh, original owner of the Minnesota Wild. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, wonderful guy. Um, and so I transitioned out uh, in, in Nashville, sold the team in December of 07, bought this two months later. Wow. So in February of, of 08. So there were two months I didn't own a hockey team, and uh, I, I slept really well at night, and my kids <laughs> loved me again, and everything was good. But 
it's, uh, I love this market. So now I'm here and, you know, I live in the St. Paul Hotel and, you know, you, you walk out of the, of the hotel, everybody talks to you, what's happening, what's, you know, who's playing tonight, who's in goal. Uh, they know everything about the game. And it's just, it's, it's a, you know, it's just an icon, hockey is an iconic sport and it's fun to be here. That's not the only iconic thing you've owned. You owned Opryland. Well, I was on I was on the board of Gaylord Entertainment. So explain and, yeah. that. Explain well, that. That's a phenomenal yeah, enterprise. Yeah, that is a, that is an incredible business. And and I mean, yeah, you talk about iconic brands. Uh, that was the most iconic brand. And you know, we would uh, we would go to Opryland quite a bit, and our players would go. And you know, there was a real love affair between the music industry and the hockey players, and they both kind of embraced and respected what each other did. So, um, you know, it was, uh, again, it was, a, it was a time that was a lot of fun, and Opryland, frankly, was a big part of that. What's been the most fun since you've been the owner of the Minnesota Wild in terms of owning this team? What's the most enjoyment you've had? Uh, that question came up at lunch today, and uh, it would have to be the uh, Nino Niederreiter goal in overtime in Colorado on the seventh game uh, and it's the goal that put us into the second round of the playoffs. And I just, I was, uh, I, I was stunned. I was, it's like I didn't know how to react to it. I was like, it was so exciting, and it, it just happened so fast. And all of a sudden you realize you're going on to the, to the next round. I mean, that's the single event that I just remember in, in the game of hockey. I'll never forget that. Do you ever think you've had a little bit of bad luck because you're in the same division with the Chicago Blackhawks <laughs> who won three Stanley Cups, mm-hmm. and Nashville's another team in your division that's been to the Stanley yep. Cup final? Do you ever mm-hmm. think, man, I can't believe I'm in this division, the bad luck that we've had? Yeah, you know, it, it, it happens, right? And, you know, there was a time, it, you know, it was Detroit and, and Nashville. We were the two teams. Chicago was terrible. Uh, St. Louis was terrible. Um, and so, you know, but now things change. And you're right, getting past Chicago, our, our heyday here mm-hmm. was Chicago's heyday. But their hay was a lot better. And we just couldn't get by them. And, uh, and it just, you know, it's, it happens. You know, this is part of the game. And there's a life cycle to a franchise. And we're all seeing that. And, you know, sometimes you have to retool. Sometimes you have to rebuild. Sometimes you just have to be lucky that, a, you know, a third or fourth round pick comes up and he turns out to be a 40-goal scorer. I love visiting with you because you're always frank and you tell the truth. And that, to me, that's really an important part of who you are. So I have, no, I mean it sincerely. I remember once sitting with you in Chicago before <laughs> you were playing the Chicago Blackhawks in the playoffs, yep. and you said, who's going to win the series? And I said, I'm going to tell you, your team's not ready to beat Chicago. And you, most yeah. people would have been irate and yeah. angry. Yeah. You're like, thanks for telling me the yeah. truth. And yeah. Like, is that hard for you to do? No, 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 no. And, and at another time I asked you, I, say, I asked you, how do you think this series is going to go? And you said, uh, Whoever loses their first home game is done. And <laughs> by golly, that's exactly what happened. But, you know, this is a unique sport that we are involved in. And they're good people. They're honest people. The players are phenomenal. I mean, I came close to buying an NBA team. And with all due respect to NBA players and owners and whatever, that is just not for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I love my relationship with... The hockey operations and and it's a relationship of respect. 
I respect mm -hmm. what they do. I believe in, in the heritage of our business where there's hockey operations and they make decisions. And I'm, you know, I'm the first one that will tell Billy uh, Garen, our general manager, that if he ever takes advice from me, he's in real trouble because I don't know what he knows. I only know what the fans know. And but I love the game, and I you know I love sending him notes every once in a while, and he'll send me you know now it used to be some kind of you know verbiage, but now it's just uh, you know uh, what one of the the emojis with his thumb down <laughs> or something like that, and I get it, I love it, I love it. Um, mm. But I you know that's the fun part of this game. Two years ago, we saw Vegas, an expansion team, yeah. go right to the Stanley Cup final. Last year, we saw the worst team in the National Hockey League until January first win the cup. Those two instances, how much pressure are on or different organizations because of those two teams? Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I wouldn't use the word pressure. For us, it, it creates hope. I mean, we see what St. Louis did with the same team, except for a different goaltender. But from January through the end of the year, they became the, they were the worst team to the best team. Mm -hmm. and, and all the teams who aren't playing well, and we're one of those teams, we use that as an example of, you know, our team is not as bad as we're playing. We were a great team for two months, and now in two weeks we turn out something wrong? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. So, you know, we, we need to be better. Uh, what, what happened in Vegas was lightning in a bottle. They, they, uh, I would say there were 30 teams unprepared for the draft, and we might have been the most unprepared team. Alex, Tuck, Alex Tuck was one of those players that moved on, and you also and, paid and other things. Yes, and yeah, Eric Hall. And, Hall, and Eric draft Hall. picks. So yes. there's a lot that went there wrong. Was a lot, there's a lot that we <laughs> gave away to protect yes. players who have turned out to be important players. So, mm -hmm. so. Um, you know, now I, I'm I'm glad I'm not Seattle uh, because they're the player the teams are going to be more prepared and protecting the right players and they're going to manage that process better than they did the first time. This is the state of hockey. We talked about that before, and I know your passion for the game is immense. As you canvass a state and you go around, whether it's up on the Iron Range or down here in the Twin Cities, or you go into Duluth, or you go into Rochester, Minnesota, what are the fans telling you about your team? How is the team perceived around the state? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question because I do hear it. And um, people love our, they love the Minnesota Wild. They're not happy right now with what they perceive maybe the effort to be because they look at our team and they're going, you know, we got some really, really good players. And they're not performing up to where they or even the players think they should be performing at. But, you know, this is the state of hockey. Everyone here has played hockey. They all play hockey. So they know when, when a player is playing well, when they're not. You, you don't hide things. And, and you you can't you know, put a Band-Aid on it and act like it's not there. Everybody knows it. So we don't hide from it here. And, uh, you know, we have to get better. That's just all there is to it. And I think we have the parts to be better. We're just going to have to execute it. When I was a kid growing up in Montreal, the Montreal Canadiens prided themselves on drafting in their area. So they always try to get the best French-Canadian-born player or the best player from the city of Montreal or the best player from the city of Quebec. How about you guys? Do you ever focus on, we need to be better in our area? The answer to that, unfortunately, is no. And it's something that I can't get my arms around yet. And Bill, Billy Garen's 
has the same issue questions. You know, how have we, I mean, we should know every player in the state of Minnesota better than any other scout. That's just absolutely. We should be watching these kids from, from when they're 12 years old and up. And, you know, how we miss one, you know, that goes two, two picks later and, you know, becomes a superstar or, you know, it's another one that goes, you know, you know, at the end of the round, we could have had them earlier. Um, you know, we got to be better at that because there are, this is a great market for the kind of kid culturally that we want on our team. These are hardworking Minnesota hockey kids. And, you know, it used to be the philosophy was, you know, you don't want to put that kind of pressure on a kid, bring him into their home team and everything. You know, hogwash, that's a new word for me. I've never <laughs> used that before. I would, I say, no, these kids work harder. They know that they're under pressure all the time to perform. You know, we, we got to know every one of those kids, and we should be taking advantage of our position with with the network that we have with all the coaches mm-hmm. throughout the state of uh, Minnesota, uh, we should know every kid that, you know, what their potential is. When you see a player like T.J. Oshie from War Road, Minnesota, or Nick Letty from here in the Twin Cities, or Matty Niskanen from Virginia, Minnesota, you see those guys hold a standing cup over their head. What are you thinking? I am. I am it does not make me very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me happy for them. Um, you know, that's that's all I want to do right now. This is all about the Stanley Cup, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know Billy Guerin's won four of them, so he gets it. And mm-hmm. and I'm, we're just so happy to have Billy here. He's a great person, and um, you know that's what we want to do. That's it. And and we need to think more strategically. And this is this is probably my responsibility: is how do we think now five years out? How are we going to win the Stanley Cup in the next five years? How are we going to build this team and manage it and develop it so that we're going to win the Stanley Cup in five years? Rather than every year, how do we get better, one year better? It's not how you do it. Speaking of strategy, it had to be very strategic to get a winter classic here in the state of hockey. <laughs> how did you pull it off? Because I'm going to freeze my feet off next year. How did you, you do this? You, you will be. Uh, you know, first of all, the state of Minnesota, the state of hockey, uh, deserves a sta- uh, deserves a uh, and a Stanley a, Cup and a Stanley Cup, and a Stanley a winter Cup. classic, and a Stanley Cup. Yeah. Um, and and you know I it's no secret that I would call Gary a lot and talk about you know why where we could have it where it could be this we're deserving of it we've got players we're you know we're in the playoffs for six years in a row and and I get the philosophy of the of NBC and and uh, the uh, NHL but but this was our time and and you could kind of see they like to do it regionally and you know go in the south and go in the west and go in the north and but this you could see this one was going to be a midwestern uh game and this was our chance and and Gary made it clear early on that we were clearly in the running mm-hmm. this you know no guarantees but you guys are in the running as as well as another facility, and um, 
And we got it, and we're thrilled to death that we're going to work so hard to make this the best winter classic ever. I bet you will. I, I guarantee you, folks, <laughs> if I know this man really well, they will work their tails off to get it to be a great winter classic. What was your take on this year's at the Cotton Bowl? Oh, my gosh. Especially with Nashville great. in there. Yeah, with Nashville, of course, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I love still watching the – the the team and the the city um it was it was a everything was perfect the weather was good the clouds were out um you know it was a, it was a, a a good game it was reft well it was you know everybody was having fun i mean you could just you could just see it was one of those games that that this was uh and and i now knowing that we're going to get it for mm-hmm. next year mm-hmm. you know we had a number of people we probably had 10 people at the game and uh, and they all came back saying, "Hey, this is going to be a riot." And I thought this year's is is a great one. To the whole building was full mm-hmm. with what seventy thousand, eighty five thousand. My yeah. goodness, you know, good for non traditional hockey markets to be able to pull off eighty five thousand people watching a game outside. What people also don't know about you is Gary Bettman leans on you a lot for business decisions in the league. Fair to say. If Gary were in here, he'd say, I don't think so. Well, I would say respectfully to Commissioner <laughs> Bettman that I know you're a big, powerful voice when it comes to business matters in mm-hmm. the NHL. How's the business of hockey? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Pierre, honestly, I leave, I leave our meetings, and, um, and I, I am amazed at how well our business is and how well it how strategically the league is working on other opportunities mm-hmm. in the next five to ten years. And it's unlimited of where of how we can grow and the good things that are happening. Uh, you know, I talk, but my wife is in business as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I go, go home and I tell her, man, if I, I, you know, I, I've never had a business that I had owned that has revenue and profit increases like the NHL has. So it's a, it's a great business to be part of. Valuations are growing. Uh, TV ratings are good and strong and getting better. Um, and our fans, you know, the demographics of our fans are just are off the charts. What's your take on women's hockey? Uh, we we got to, you know, we have a good women's hockey program here in this state. Agreed. All right. And um, we help them in many, many ways, and we love it. We love our relationship with them. Um, we are a big supporter of it. We want it to grow. We, I, I personally would like to see the NHL have its own hockey program. I would like it. It would be great for this market. We'll be successful. Other markets are going to have to work at it, but there are still other markets, and Montreal would be one of them. Mm-hmm. I know they'd like to have it. Toronto would be great. Chicago. So there are going to be a number, you know, eight to 12 markets that will be really successful. We just have to uh, – the league wants to see everything kind of work out, and I, I would think in the next few years that the NHL would – have its own league. Well, I cannot thank you enough. You're a dear friend and gentleman for coming on. Thanks, Greg. Pierre, thank I love talking much. to you. Thank, thank you so much. Greg Leopold in the Minnesota Wild. A great conversation there with Craig Leopold of the Minnesota Wild. And, it, you know, you think about this Minnesota Wild team. I can't figure them out. I feel like the beginning of the season was horrendous. There was no hope for this team. Then they went on a tear a little bit. They got themselves back in the conversation. Now they're back down to being last in the Central Division. But, Jonesy, you think that this is a team that's playing better now. So I do. I, I, don't think they're going, the I don't think they're going away. I think they've got enough veteran players there that are proud. Uh, I think they've found something recently. 
They won a couple of big games. One of them was against Tampa after losing badly against the Pittsburgh Penguins. They battled Florida in a really difficult game where they lost in the last few seconds in regulation. But their game is all about the forecheck. It's all about playing aggressively. It's all about Zach Parisi style of hockey. And Ryan Suter on the back end is still getting the job done. So there's enough pieces there that they're going to be a problem. I think they'll probably fall short, but it's going to be in the last week of the season if they don't make it. They're going to hang around. I, uh, I did the game uh, Minnesota against the Lightning. It was my first last week, and you always remember your first. Um, <laughs> well, we're glad we got you back so, for a second. You uh, liked it that much. So I did all sorts of research, and they had, a, they had a tough start, then they got hot, and then they were playing poorly again. And during their, their bad streak, and, and all year, what's really hurt them is goaltending and their penalty kill. Their penalty kills at 75%. Their goaltending is pretty close to being below 900. And that's a really tough way to win hockey games. And of late, they've been, they've been much better. Um, but this is a team that, that plays really hard. Um, Bruce Boudreau may or may not be, be the guy long term. But you can tell the guys respect him and want to play hard for him. And they had a tough one, a tough ending. They... they the game got away from them with five seconds left last game. But um, this is a team that, that will, will work till the very end. All right. We'll wait and see what happens with the Minnesota Wild. And we'll get to our final topic here. And it involves the Columbus Blue Jackets. Things looked really bleak after Jonas Corposalo tore his meniscus. Well, actually, they looked bleak way before that when Sergei Bobrovsky signed a $70 million deal to go elsewhere. But since the meniscus tear for uh, Corposalo, Elvis Merzlikens is 8-2 and two with three shutouts, a 9.55 save percentage, and a 1.51 goals against average. So you get this Latvian new goaltender in there, Jonesy, who seems to be doing everything right and Columbus is winning games with him. Yeah, the save percentage is remarkable at 955, so you would think that that would start to reverse itself and that Columbus would start ending up on some of the losing side of these this type of style of play. Uh, but he's been phenomenal and you got to give the kid a ton of credit. You give Columbus a lot of credit for the way that they've battled though. I mean, this is a team that most of us kind of threw to the side based upon loss of personnel, including Panera who signed another multi-million dollar deal. Duchesne, who had stopped by for a cup of coffee, signed a multi-million dollar deal with Nashville. And Bobrovsky, who you mentioned. Then you go to injuries. Cam Atkinson was out for an extended period of time. Zach Borinsky was out for an extended period of time. Uh, Dubinsky's been out the whole year. They've got a list, a laundry list of players that have been out of the lineup. So what they've done and what John Tortorella done has, been, has done has been remarkable. Uh, but they've done it as a team. They played Tortorella style of hockey, blocking shots, diving in the blue paint to keep pucks out of their own net and diving at the other end of the net, sacrificing uh, for the betterment of the team. So that's a team that's getting the job done there. And Elvis has benefited from that, but he's also made some key saves along the way. Elvis Merzlikens has been great, but I think Sergei Bobrovsky would tell you that it's a little bit easier playing for a John Tortorella coach team than, than elsewhere. Um, he gets to play in front of Seth Jones, um, who might win a uh, Norris Trophy mm-hmm. someday. Uh, Zach Wierenski. And with Tortorella, they block shots. They, they don't give up a lot of high-danger scoring chances. And playing behind that defense and those forwards and Tortorella in their ear about the, the defensive responsibility uh, has really benefited his goaltenders. 
All right. Well, Columbus Blue Jackets in the conversation. We'll see what happens. Uh, that's going to do it for Our Line Starts. And remember, new episodes drop every Wednesday. Ben, it's been fun to have you here. You can subscribe or uh, automatic downloads wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.